You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. Well, we're continuing our series this morning called My Peace I Give to You. We're talking about the peace of God. This is week number two, and uh, I am uh, very excited for what we're going to talk about today. And uh, did you come ready to believe God with me? Believe for utterance today. Believe that the Lord is going to speak to all of us. And, and so, but let's, let's begin by looking at our foundation scripture that we're basing this on. And this is found in John chapter 14, verse 27. I'm going to read this from the New King James Version, and I'm going to read it from the Amplified Bible. The New King James says this, Peace I leave with you, my peace. Everybody say, my peace. My peace. Say, it's, it's the peace of Jesus. Say it again. It's the peace of Jesus. Okay, so he said, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Now I want to just highlight for just a second the latter part of that verse when he said, let not your heart be troubled. We're going to talk more about that in just a moment. But what I want to point out to you is this. Notice that the, the understood subject is you. Say, he's talking to me, okay? And he tells me, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So here's what I want you to see. I determine whether my heart gets troubled or not, okay? So we have a choice in the matter. In the Amplified Bible, it says this, John chapter 14, verse 27, my peace I leave with you, my own peace now I give and bequeath to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Stop allowing yourselves to be agitated and disturbed and do not permit yourselves to be fearful and intimidated and cowardly and unsettled. So you and I have a choice on whether we allow the peace of God to work in our lives, whether we let agitated uh, disturbing thoughts and things come into our lives to get us to give up our peace. That's what the devil is after. He wants you to give up your peace. Well, you got to make up your mind. It's my peace. Jesus gave it to me and I'm hanging on to it. I'm not giving it up. Amen. All right. So well, let's look at one more scripture and that is John chapter 16 and verse 33. We, we went over this last week but I wanted to get it again, Amplified Bible. I have told you these things so that in me you may have perfect peace and confidence. In the world you will have tribulation and trials and distress and frustration, but be of good cheer. Get happy, he said. Take courage, be confident, certain, undaunted, for I have overcome the world I have deprived it of power to harm you and have conquered it for you. So here's the good news. We don't have to let the world beat us up. Jesus deprived it of its power 
and its ability to hurt and harm, and he has conquered it for us. Amen? All right, so if you're taking notes, writing things down, write this down. It is the will of God for the believer to live in the peace of Jesus Christ. It's the will of God. And I said this last week, but I wanted to say it again this week. It is God's will for you and I to live in peace. All right? It is the will of God for us to live in peace. Now, last week, I gave you some definitions of the word peace. And um, so let's look at it in the Greek language. Again, the New Testament was written in Greek originally. So this is when Jesus said, my peace I give to you. Here's what he's telling you, uh, that it's the opposite of war and dissension. It's peace of mind. It's tranquility, health, welfare, prosperity. And I love this last part, every kind of good. If it's good, Jesus wants you to have it. Well, thank you for your enthusiasm. If it is, uh, you know, full of tranquility and peace and health, welfare, prosperity, every kind of good, that is what Jesus gave you. He said, my peace I give to you. That's what this word means. In the Hebrew, it's very similar, but in the Hebrew, it's the Greek word, or Hebrew word rather, shalom, and it means this, safe, well, friendly, good welfare. It means health, prosperity, peace, favor, and rest. And then this last phrase, and I love it, all is well. Say that with me. Say, all is well. All is well. So write this down, please. Jesus has given to us the peace that he walked in while here in the earth. Now, I want you to think about something for just a moment. Do you think as horrible as knowing what he was facing at the cross, knowing the horrible death that he was going to experience, the beating, the, the taunting, the slapping, everything that he experienced leading up to the cross, here's something that we don't often think about, and that is this. Jesus had perfect peace leading all the way up to that. You know, I don't know if I could have done that in my own strength and ability. And so what I want you to know is the peace that he had and, and was his, he has given to us the same peace that he lived and walked in the earth. He has given it to each and every one of us. So it belongs to us. Now, we said this last week. And I wanted to emphasize it again because we're going to build on it a little more today. And that is this. One of the greatest enemies to your peace in Jesus Christ is going to be worry. Worry. Worry is a thief. Worry is something that is designed to steal your peace. Now here's something that I, I, I want to say this to you. <clears throat> If you are worried, you're not living in peace. If you're in peace, you're not worried. Okay? So I want us to understand that worry is designed to take the peace of God away from you. Let's look at Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 9. And I added a couple more verses uh, to last week when we read this. But in the Passion Translation, it said this. And listen, I'm going to go ahead and <clears throat> prep you for this. This is one of those mic drop verses. 
You know what I mean by that? Where it, Jesus, uh, Paul, writing by the Spirit of God, just put it out there plain, and, and if you and I are going to do it, it's just it is what it is. All right, so let's read this. He said this, Don't be pulled in different directions or worried about a thing. Okay, so we could stop right there, and if you and I could learn to do the first part of, of verse 6, we would have it made. So don't be pulled in different directions or worried about a thing. Be saturated in prayer throughout each day, offering your faith-filled request before God with overflowing gratitude. Tell Him every detail of your life. Listen, God's interested in the big things and the small things. You know, we have a tendency when it comes to healing, we'll let God heal us of cancer, but I've got the headache, Lord. I can handle that. No, let God deal with that too, the big things and the small things. And he said this, then after you do all of that, that's mentioned in verse 6, then God's wonderful peace that transcends human understanding will make the answers known to you through Jesus Christ. So here's kind of going to be the theme of what we're going to talk about today in verse 8. So keep your thoughts continually fixed on all that is authentic, real, honorable, admirable, beautiful, respectful, pure, and holy, merciful, and kind, and fasten your thoughts on every glorious work of God, praising Him always. You remember Jesus talked about that. We, we mentioned this last week when Jesus said, oh, did it, let me do a little pop quiz. Did anybody go bird watching this week? I love it, all right? Did anybody go grass watching? Okay, if you weren't here last week, you don't know what I'm talking about. Jesus said this in, Mar in Matthew chapter 6. He said, don't worry about your life, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, and what you're going to put on. He said, because if your heavenly Father takes care of the birds which don't sow, they don't reap, they don't do anything to provide for themselves, will he, you, will he take care of you, you not be, are you being so much better than they are? And so I gave you a homework assignment last week to sit outside and watch the birds and see if you see any birds pacing the floor wondering how they're going to get taken care of. How am I going to pay Duke Power this month? How am I going to pay my car payment this month? How am I going to eat this month? No, the, 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 what Jesus was telling us is if you will go out and watch the birds and see how billions of birds in the earth eat very well, then I want to tell you this, if the birds are eating, so will you. If the flowers are blooming, so will you have clothes to put on your back. That's what Jesus said. And so I'm going to continue that homework assignment. So those of you who weren't here last week, uh, go bird watching this week, Okay. Go bird watching, look at some flowers, and then just know, if they're eating, I'm going to eat. Amen? Turn to somebody close by and say, if I see some birds, come on, say it like you mean it. If I see some birds and they're eating, then I know I'm going to eat because God's going to take care of me too. All right? So 
He said this, he said, follow the example of all that we have imparted to you and the God of peace will be with you in all things. Now, I want to remind you of what Jesus said. We, we read verse 27 in John chapter 14 earlier where he said, don't let your heart be troubled. Well, it started with this meeting that he was having with the disciples on the last night before he was to be crucified. And he said this in, in John chapter 14 and verse 1, reading from the Amplified, do not let your heart be troubled, distressed, or agitated. You believe in and adhere to and trust in and rely on God. Believe in, adhere to, and trust in and rely also on me. Now again, you could, if you, if you write in your Bible, or if you want to just make a note on the verse on the handout, put the word Y-O-U at the very beginning of that verse because that is the understood subject. So Jesus is saying, you do not let your heart be troubled, distressed, or agitated. I looked it up in the Greek language, the word troubled, and it's very interesting what it means. It means this, to stir up with questions. You know how you get yourself agitated? It's when you start stirring yourself up with questions that you don't have answers to. How am I going to do this? How am I going to do this? Where is that going to come from? I don't know what I'm going to do. All of those kinds of questions are designed to stir you up and get you distressed and agitated. But again, I want to emphasize this. You and I have a choice in the matter. We have a choice as to what thoughts we take, what thoughts that we reject, what thoughts we allow to enter in and we ponder on and we begin to think about and get distressed and worried. You can reject those thoughts and not allow those things to torment you. You don't have to think about everything that pops into your noggin. Did you know that? Okay, you can say no when those thoughts come, and they will come, but when those thoughts come about how you're going to take care of this, how are you going to survive this, how are you going to make it this month, I mean, you've got more month than you do money, and, and all those types of things. No, you're going to have to pull that thought down, and you're going to have to say no. In Jesus' name, my heavenly Father takes care of me. He is my source and supply. Amen. And so you and I have a, a choice in this. I cannot emphasize this enough because a lot of Christians are duped into thinking that we're just supposed to go through life upset, agitated, worried, and fretting over life itself, the things that we deal with, all right? Now, what I want to do is I want to show you something. Now, how many of you believe that if Jesus said something once, it's very important. Okay? All right? How about if he says it two times? It's real important. How about if he says it five times? Okay? And I'm not talking about spread all throughout the New Testament. I'm talking about in, in a span of ten verses, he says something five times. Do you think that might be important? Okay? All right, well, let's look. Matthew 6, 25. Therefore, I say to you, this is the old King James. He said, take no thought for your life, implying that you have a choice. You can take that thought 
or you can reject that thought. Take no thought what you shall eat, what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Then write down just a couple of verses later. Now, you know he, he wasn't writing in chapter. Jesus did not speak in chapter and verse. In other words, he wasn't saying this, and he stopped and said, verse 27. And then he went on. Verse 31. No, he, he was just talking. We broke it up into verses for reference sake. So in verse 27, Jesus asked this question. He said, which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit to his stature? None of us can. Trust me, if worrying makes you taller, I would be playing for the NBA right now. <laughs> worrying does not do anything to make you bigger. It makes your problems bigger. What you need to do is do what's necessary to make God bigger. That's why David wrote in the Psalms, he said, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. You can't make God any bigger than he already is, but you can make him bigger in your thinking. You can make him bigger in your heart. All right? So verse 27, why take your thought? Verse 28, and why take your thought for raiment? Third time, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. Verse 31, therefore take no thought saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what, what, what shall we be clothed with? Then in verse 34, therefore take no thought for the morrow, for tomorrow. For the morrow, tomorrow shall take thought for the things of itself. So five times in these, this little span of time that Jesus was speaking, he said, don't take thoughts of anxiety over your life. Don't take worry thoughts. How many of you love Jesus in here this morning? How many of you want to obey Jesus? Well, if Jesus tells you don't do something and we do it, are we disobeying what Jesus said? Yeah. Now, we, 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 none of us would in this room today would consider, you know, breaking the Ten Commandments, committing adultery, worshiping another God, all those things. But how many of us compromise on this? This is a commandment. Jesus said, it's not a suggestion, do not worry about your life. Why? Because it's the will of God for you to live in peace. And Jesus knows that when we give in to worry, we are not living in peace. Hallelujah. So by implication, again, Jesus is saying that we have a choice in what we think about and can select the thoughts that we dwell on in our minds. Now, I'm not going to turn there for the sake of time. We've talked about it before. But 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5, Paul said this. He said, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God to the pulling down of strongholds. And then he said, what we have to do, and this is my paraphrasation, he said, what you're going to have to do is those thoughts that are contrary to the word of God, you're going to have to take them captive. And what that means is, and you know, listen, I'm not trying to be funny when I say this, but I, I, I love the Andy Griffith show. Anybody love the Andy Griffith show? Okay. 
Anybody remember when Gomer was deputized and became a deputy with Barney and, and he, he caught somebody and he said, citizens arrest. You remember that? Okay. <laughs> what you and I are going to have to do, what that literally says in the, in the Greek language is those thoughts that come into your thinking that are contrary to the word of God, you must arrest them and take them captive. Because when you arrest somebody, you strip them of their power. You strip them of their ability to be able to hurt and harm you. So when you and I say no in Jesus' name. Now here, I'm going to give you a little tip right here. Let me go back um, to one of the verses. Here we go. Matthew 6, 31. Jesus said, therefore take no thought. What's the next word? Okay, you want me to tell you if you've taken a thought or not? Is that thought coming out of your mouth? Okay, when, when you're, now I'm not giving you permission to be worried and not talk about it. Okay, that's not right either. But if you, li listen, you need to understand the progression here. And I'm going to give it to you. It's really simple. What you think about the most, you begin to believe. What you believe will ultimately come out of your mouth. The Bible teaches us that what we say and believe in our hearts becomes the experience of our lives. Okay, so taking that, letting that thought stay in there and meditating on it and going over it and over it and over it, eventually you will begin to believe that. When, once you believe it, you will talk about it. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Whatever is in your heart in abundance is going to come out of your mouth. You know, I don't have to really um, probe people too much to find out what they believe. All I got to do is hang around you for a little while and let you talk. You'll tell me what you believe. Now, let me rephrase that. I have to, I, I can do that with somebody that doesn't know I'm a preacher. Because people act funny around preachers. They talk funny around preachers. Okay? You know, they, they, you know, people find out you're a pastor or a preacher, and all of a sudden, they don't talk regular anymore. Hallelujah. Yes, I love the Lord. They start putting a uh on the end of words like God. Okay? Don't do that. I'm just a regular person just like you are. I'm just called to a different position. That's it. But people, you know, and I understand, maybe they're trying to be respectful or something like that. But listen, don't do that. Uh, you know, and if, and if I can keep that hidden from somebody for a minute and they don't know that I'm a preacher and I just listen to them talk, they'll tell me what they believe. You know, if I, uh, I don't do it very often, but occasionally, you know, when I spend time with someone in a, what we call a counseling situation, you know, and there's been times when I have uh, had married couples that have come in that were struggling and so, you know, and I've, I've spent some time talking to them. Most of the time, I will, all I got to do is ask a couple of questions and then shut up and let them talk. And they will tell me, A, what they, what's really going on in their heart and what's really going on in the household. Okay? 
And so once you determine what someone believes in, your, in their heart, then you can maybe help them by trying to change something that they think and believe in their heart. But my point is this. Jesus said, take no thought saying. The moment you attach words to that thought, you have empowered that thought to begin to affect your life. So somebody says, what do I do? Well, you take it captive. The way that you do that is, and I'm going to use this same phrase right here, you reject a thought by saying. You know, if, if they come to you and they say, hey, listen, we, you know, we ran some tests, we got a bad report from the doctor, and, and this is what they're saying is going to happen to you. Well, thank you so much for your professional opinion. I appreciate it so much. However, I have a different report. And my report says in Psalm 107 verse 20, I shall live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. See, if I allow that thought of death to stay in my thinking, eventually it will begin to affect me. But I have a choice. I can reject that. Now, I don't pretend and deny, but I speak faith, with ha which, faith in God's Word, which has the ability to change those circumstances. Are you listening to me? Okay. So you determine what you think about. Now, I want to say this, and write this down, please. What you think about has more to do with you in living in the peace of God than anything else. What you think about has more to do with you living in the peace of God than anything else. You can have chaos all around you. But if you've heard the old saying. Maybe you've, you've seen this quote before. You know, um, you know how a ship keeps from sinking? You know, a ship is heavy. They're made out of heavy steel you know, and, and weigh tons and tons and tons. But you know how they keep from sinking? They don't allow the water to get in them. Okay? And so what I want you to see, it's not the water that causes the ship to sink. It's the water that gets in the ship that causes the ship to sink. And so what I'm, what I'm wanting you to see is, is if you do not let those agitating, peace-stealing thoughts get into your thinking, they will not be able to sink you. All right? So what you think about, again, I want to give you this progression so that you're, you, you, you fully understand it. What you think about is eventually what you believe. What you believe is eventually what you will say. And, and Romans 10.10 10 says this, that, that what you believe in your heart and say with your mouth will produce whatever it is that you're believing and saying. So if you don't want those thoughts to impact your life and to be your life experience, do not attach words to them. Now here's the thing about thoughts, is thoughts unspoken and unbelieved die unborn. Okay? All right, now what I want to do is I want to go back to the Old Testament and I want to look at a couple of characters in the Old Testament for just a few moments uh, and look at peace. What, what caused peace to be lost in the life of, of one person? And how did another person maintain their peace? 
So we're going to look at this. Let's go to 1 Kings chapter 19. I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. Now this is, a, a, anybody ever heard of Elijah the prophet? Okay. Now listen, I don't mean to take anything away from Elijah. Elijah was an awesome man of God, powerful man of God, walked with God, walked in the power of God. However, he was still a human being. He was still a man. All right? So I need you to remember that for both of these people that we're talking about. So what had happened in chapter 18, what had happened was um, Elijah showed up on the scene and there were 400 prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel and they were attempting to worship Baal. And Elijah shows up and he says, he, he throws down the gauntlet, so to speak. He, he, he gives them a challenge and he says, listen, either you're going to serve the one true living God or you're going to serve your God, Baal. Choose today who you're going to serve. Who is it going to be? And so they said, well, we're going to, we're going to worship Baal. So Elijah gave them a challenge. He said, I tell you what, here's what we're going to do. We're going to build an altar. Actually, we're going to build two altars. We're going to build you one. And you're going to sacrifice and do all of your incantations and all of your dancing and all that stuff to Baal. And I'm going to build an altar and I'm going to offer a sacrifice to Jehovah on the altar. And we're going to see who shows up and accepts the sacrifice. So here go the prophets of Baal, 400 of them. They, they go to town. I mean, they're gyrating and dancing and chanting and doing all this kind of stuff. The Bible says even cutting themselves all in an act of worship to Baal. And you know what? Nothing happens. The sacrifice is laying there. Nothing happens. Not one thing. So after they get through, you know, and Elijah's ta taunting them the whole time, saying, where is your God? One translation says, where is your God? Is he on vacation? Okay, he hasn't showed up. And so Elijah says, okay, you're done, my turn. So Elijah offers his sacrifice. He puts it on the altar and then digs a ditch all the way around the altar and pours water all over his sacrifice, water on the altar, pours water down into the ditch. So the ditch is entirely full of water so that that, that sacrifice will not be burned up by human means. And so Elijah just prays a simple prayer. He said, God, I know you are the one true living God. My prayerization, of course, show up here today and demonstrate who you are. And the Bible says lightning, it says the fire of heaven, but that's lightning, came down from heaven, consumed the sacrifice, burnt up the altar, burned up all of the water that was there until there was absolutely nothing left. And so then Elijah demonstrated that God was God and he rose up in the anointing and power of God and killed all 400 of the prophets of Baal, one man. Now I would say God showed up, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you say God made a way where there was no way? Okay. All right, he demonstrated who he is. So, after all this happened, Elijah's got this great, I mean, it was a good day for the Elijah Evangelistic Association. They had a great revival there on Mount Carmel. Wouldn't you agree? Okay, 
So what happens is Jezebel, who is the queen married to King Ahab, gets upset by what has transpired and she threatens Elijah and says, may I do to you the same thing that you have done to the prophets of Baal. In other words, I am going to kill you. Now, what happens is Elijah flees. So let's look at verse 1 in 1 Kings chapter 19, and, and I'm reading from the New Living, and it says this, Now Ahab got home, and he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah, May the God strike me and even kill me, if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you have killed them. Now I want, want you to note the next verse. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. Now, I want to ask you something. Does that sound like a guy who is living in peace? No. Does that sound like a guy who is still celebrating the victory that God had given him just 24 hours earlier? No. It says he was afraid and he fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there, then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree, a sycamore tree, and prayed, get this, prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Does this sound like a guy who is who is free from anxiety, free from worry, free from care, who's living and walking in the peace of God? No. Listen to me, sweetheart. When you get to the point when you want to die, you're no longer living in the peace of God. Okay? So what happened? What happened that caused Elijah to get to this point? Well, write this down, please. Elijah let the words of Jezebel distract him in such a way that he lost his peace, fell in depression, and wanted to die. What am I saying? Elijah let the threats of this heathen woman get into his mind. Listen, he had just witnessed the power of God show up in, 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 a, in, the, in a way that people had never seen before. God anointed him to, to slay 400 prophets of Baal. What's one woman compared to all that? But yet he let these threatening words get into his thinking and he began to dwell on them and worry about them to the point where it caused him to lose his peace he, and, it, it, and it just continued to take him down he fell into depression and wanted to die. That's pretty low. See where worry will eventually take you? See, what worry does is worry and anxiety will take you on a path where not only will you lose your peace, but you'll get to a point where you will begin to feel sorry for yourself. And that's exactly where he was. If we go on, and we, we're not going to, but if he... If you read the rest of the conversation, he said, God, I'm the only prophet that's left in, 
in, in all of Israel. Poor me. I'm just so weak and weary and, 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 and I mean, just totally lost it all. That's why I'm saying, and I, I'm not criticizing him. We've all been there. But the fact of the matter is, this man was still a man. So what happened? He let, he let the words of this woman, forget who it is for a moment, he let the words inspired by the devil get him to the point where he lost his peace. He got to the point where he was so low, he was feeling sorry for himself and, and wanted to literally die. Now, there's an interesting point in here. Um, let, me, let me read these verses in, in 1 Kings 19, just the, the next few verses, because this is important. It's a little side thought. This is free. This won't cost you anything, okay? Anybody like free? Okay, all right, just checking. All right, look at this. Then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him. Okay, so think with me here. He's gone off by himself. He just pleaded all that to God and said, God, I want to die. Just go ahead and kill me now. And so then he fell asleep. Then an angel touched him and woke him up and said to him, arise and eat. Then he looked and there by his head was an angel food cake The angel fixed it for him. I'm just saying. I, you know, it might have had strawberries on it. I don't know. And there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank and he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. That's why I know it was angel food cake because it sustained him for 40 days. Now, I'm being funny, but you get the point. This was not ordinary food. Now, what, what am I wanting you to see by reading these verses? Elijah, little side note, this is free. Elijah allowed himself to get so tired and so hungry that that contributed to his state of mind. So what did God do, okay? Did God show up and, and rebuke him? No. God sent an angel to feed him, and then he allowed him to rest, okay? So what am I saying to you? God did that. Because in the next few verses, God begins to speak to him in order to bring him out of that state that he was in. Here's what I want you to see. This is, again, a little side note. Um, Elijah would have been in no position to hear the word of God because he was so hungry and so tired, it would have distracted him. Anybody been hangry before? Anybody been hangry and somebody tried to talk to you and you didn't want to hear it? Okay, that's the state of mind he was in. And, I, and I'm not trying to be funny. God had to show up, give him some rest, give him some food, and then God could show up and minister to him to bring him out of that place. 
Now, what I want you to see is, is that, yes, we're talking about something that affects you mentally and your soul and in your spirit, but you also might need to do some things in your physical body to bring you out of this place as well. Can I get an amen? All right. That was free. That won't cost you anything. Okay. So let's, by contrast, let's go and look at somebody else in the Old Testament. And I want to look at a man named Elisha, who was the protege of Elijah. And so we're going to go over to 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 14 through 17. And uh, let me tell you what's going on behind the scenes here. The king of Syria is attacking Israel and Judah. And, but what happens is the king of Syria makes all these battle plans and the prophet Elijah, the Spirit of God, reveals to him what the battle plans are. And so Elisha goes and tells the captains of the armies of Israel what the plans of the king of Syria are. So they show up and defeat them every single time. And so the king of Syria is all upset because he thinks there's a spy that's revealing this information. So they, they finally narrow it down and figure out that it's the prophet Elisha because you remember the, the aides to the king of Syria says, hey, this prophet knows by the Lord God Jehovah what you think and say even in your private bedroom. Okay? So the king is furious. He sends an army to go and to find and capture Elisha. All right? So let's look at uh, chapter 6. All right. Here we go. Verse 14, 2 Kings 6. Therefore, he, the king of Syria, sent horses and chariots and a great army there, and they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God arose early, because he was going to go to Starbucks and get some coffee for himself and for Elisha, he went out. I just wanted to see if you were paying attention. Okay. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to Elisha, Alas, my master, what shall we do? What shall we do? What is it that we need to do? Now, by contrast, did Elisha lose his peace? No, he did not. Look at what Elisha said. So he answered, do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now, I want to ask you, would, if you got up and your natural circumstances looked like this, would it be hard to maintain your peace? Would, it, would you be tempted to think, oh, this is it? I mean, look at this army. All these chariots and horses, they've come and they've surrounded us. It's over. But when Elisha was presented with those thoughts and with that information, he refused to set his mind on what he could see in the natural and focused rather on what was going on in the supernatural. Write this down, please. Elisha was able to maintain his peace by not allowing his mind to wander from the Word of God. Elisha was able to maintain his peace oops, sorry, by not allowing his mind to wander from the word of God. Now, let me tell you what happened. 
So the, the servant asked him, he said, what are we going to do? Verse 16, Elisha responded, do not fear for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and allowed him to see over in the spirit. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. In other words, God's army showed up on the scene. Now, I want to show you something, okay? So again, Elisha was able to maintain his peace by not allowing his mind to wander from the word of God. Now, when I find a verse like what Elisha experienced, and by the way, I encourage you to do this. I don't care if it's the ministry of Jesus or one of the Old Testament saints or whatever, and you find where they took and made a tremendous stand of faith, what were they standing on? How many of you know faith comes how? By hearing, By hearing what? The word, the word of God. So, if, you, you know, again, we put these guys on a pedestal and we believe that they, you know, they don't have to believe God like you and I do. No, they do. So what was, and when I'm studying, I want to know, I ask the Lord, Lord, what scripture was Elisha standing on when he told his servant? Now, Elisha couldn't see them, but he knew they were there. And he prayed for the eyes of the servant to be open. So what, what how did Elisha know that that army was there? Okay, well, he had to go to the Word just like you've got to go to the Word. Let me show you. What did he believe? Look at Psalm 3, verses 1 through 6. And by the way, these Psalms were written before Elisha was on the earth. So Elisha had the ability to be able to know and read these scriptures. Can I say this? Don't mean this any kind of way, but just like you do. Okay? Lord, how they have increased who trouble me. Many are they who rise up against me. Many are they who say there is no help for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory, and the one who lifts my head. I cried to the Lord with my voice, and he heard me from his holy hill. I laid down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. That's what Elisha was standing on. This was a psalm that David wrote, and Elisha at some point in his life had read these verses, and he knew, I will not be afraid. Though ten thousands of people set themselves against me, the Lord is my protector. Then there was one other psalm that he probably read, Psalm 27, verses 1 through 3, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp round about me or against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. Well, how did Elisha stay in peace? He refused to allow the thoughts of defeat to overwhelm him. And rather, he went to the Word and found out what the Word said and chose to believe and focus and set his mind on the Word. 
instead of what the circumstances were telling him. Write this down, please. Elisha kept his mind set on the promise of God's word. Now, I want to show you one last verse, and I've been wanting to get to this verse for two weeks now. And it's found in Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 3. And we're wrapping up. The Lord said this through the prophet Isaiah. You, God, will keep him in perfect peace. Look at this. Whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Now, what's interesting is, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a word definition kind of guy, so I love to go and look and see what's behind this. I mean, that's a wonderful verse, just reading it on the surface, but I, I wanted to see some things because I wanted to understand it a little deeper. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. In, in the Hebrew, if you go and look at this verse in the Hebrew concordance, and you can do this, the word perfect is not there. What is there is the word peace is there twice. So in the Hebrew it says this, you will keep him in shalom, shalom, whose mind is stayed on you. And I, I, I just thought that was odd because we don't do that in our English language. We throw words in there like perfect. But in the, the Hebrew, they would say, uh, uh, you will keep him in shalom, shalom, whose mind is stayed on you. And what that is, in the Hebrew grammar, now I'm going to throw back some for you, go back to your school days, it's called a super superlative. Now, I, I, you know, it's been at least a year or two since I graduated from high school, and so I had to go back. Anybody remember... You know, in the yearbook, anybody remember in your high school or college yearbook, they had superlatives? What, is, what was that? Somebody tell me. What was the superlatives? You remember? Most likely to succeed, best looking, best dressed, whatever. Those were called superlatives, yearbook superlatives. And so I kind of knew what a superlative was, but I did not know what a superlative superlative was. This is a real thing, all right? So what a super superlative is, it is expressing the highest or very high degree of quality, okay? So if, if I'm giving you a super superlative, I'm going to tell you something about you and there's nothing higher. There's nothing greater. I can't get any more gooder than that. Okay? So what am I saying to you? When, when the Lord says you will keep him in shalom, shalom, by putting those two words together, he's saying, I will keep you in the highest level and the highest quality of peace if you will keep your mind set on me. Let me read it to you from another couple of translations. In the New Living Translation, it says this, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. Let me read it to you from the message. I, I like the message. People with their minds set on you 
you keep completely whole. That's what shalom means, you remember? Steady on their feet because they keep at it and they don't quit. Depend on God and keep at it because in the Lord God you have a sure thing. Hallelujah. So what I'm wanting you to see is that if, if, and write this down, if you will keep your mind set on God's word, stayed on God's word, established on God's word, and refuse to allow your mind to go to anything else, God has promised that he will keep you in the, the highest level, the greatest level. There is none higher than this level of peace that God will keep you in. And I want you to understand that when you're in this peace, it doesn't mean all of your circumstances go away and disappear. It just means that on the inside of you, you have this confidence, you have this assurance, you have this thing going on in your soul that says, my God is my defender, my God is my protector, my God is my healer, my God is my provider. I will not fear what the circumstances say will happen to me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And that's the kind of peace that God wants us to live and walk in. Anybody need some of that? Anybody want to live in that? I know you do. Well, I've just told you this is how we're going to do it. We are going to set our minds on the Word of God and refuse every other anxious disturbing, stirring up questions, thought that the enemy wants to introduce into your life. Amen. Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.